0: We hope that you will subscribe and will share our program with others. Now, we take you to the service of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ.
1: Open your Bibles to Ruth chapter 4. Ruth chapter 4, someone told me the other day, and I I did think it was humorous. Um, They said, we're still in the book of Ruth. They said, Ruth is only two pages in my Bible. And so I've done my best to draw Ruth out as long as we can. We've got today, we've got next Sunday Uh, And and we've gotten to the beautiful part of this story in this particular uh, book, and uh, I hope that it wraps up and and leaves you uh, blessed as we have done our best to talk about a faithful God. Our our goal, our our theme for this month has been faith, or for this year has been faith. Uh, We're moving to the backside of the year. We've got a couple more things to touch on, but this has been a beautiful story of God and how God is faithful to us in our life. Let me do something fun for just a second. I want you to close your eyes. If you want to, you don't have to close your eyes for this. It just seems like an appropriate thing to do. Close your eyes and point north. Point north. Point in the direction that you think is north. Point in the direction that you think is north. Now open your eyes and look around. We're all going a lot of different directions. We got some going this way. We got some going this way. I'm not really sure where Judd's going. Judd's going that way. Got some going back that way. How many of you think this way is north? One of you? Okay, north is this way. North is this way. How do we know this way is north? It's the way the streets are going? Okay, the way the streets are going. How do we know that this way is north? We, we've, got, we've got this directional thing that we use. It's on our phone. That's how I figured it out. I got on the phone and looked. Uh, I was going that way, but I was wrong. It's this way. But we have a thing called a what? A compass that gives us direction, right? And there are times in our life that if we didn't have that compass, uh, we, we would be kind of lost. You know, we'd, we'd be directionalist and directionless. And, and when I think about what we're going to talk about today, when I think about, um, I, I guess... Really, it wraps up in verse 13, okay? Really, it wraps up in verse thing, Verse 13. It says, so Boaz took Ruth. This is the, the chapter four. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. She became his wife. That is such a beautiful passage in this whole story because where have we been? Where have we been? We started out this story with a family, a family that was um, whole, a family that was happy, a family that was full, and God's judgment comes on the people of Israel, and a famine comes over the land, and this family decides we're going to do our own thing. We're going to go to where we can provide for ourselves, and they go to the country of Moab, which from where they are to the plains of Moab, we don't know how far in they went, was approximately from here to Rustival, uh, a journey like that from here to Rustival. And if you've got to do that on foot, Now that's a little more daunting of a task, I guess, than than it is for us in the 25, 30 minutes that it takes to get over there. (laughs) But they get over there and tragedy happens. Tragedy continues to follow them. As they run from God, they find more tragedy and more tragedy and Elimelech dies. And so now Naomi is a widow. She's got her sons and they're married. And then her son's dying. Now she's got these two daughter-in-laws that she's trying to take care of. And she realizes that for her, the best thing is to just go back home. What does it say? She says that she heard that there was food again or that God had blessed uh, Bethlehem or, or, or the nation of Israel. So she goes back home and her, uh, one of her daughter-in-laws is like, okay, I've gone as far as I'm going to go. I love you, mom, but I'm going back home. And Ruth, Ruth what? Ruth says, where you go, what? I go. Where you go, I go. Where you live, I'm going to live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. That's what he says, what she says. So it's a beautiful story. We begin to see the redemption of God slowly taking place a little bit. And then uh, we're introduced to the, the big character, the big personable character by the name of. By the name of. We, 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 we lockened him to uh, Randy. Boaz. There we go. Boaz man by the name of Boaz. And and he comes onto the scene and he begins to kind of take care. You you see God working through him and taking care of some things in this story. He's redeeming this whole situation here and bringing it back to wholeness. And by the time we get to the middle or towards the end of chapter four today, we're going to see that marriage is the avenue in which God brings redemption to this story. And as we wrap up, we're going to talk about Um, talk about our marriages for just a few minutes. But I want you to think about this with me for a moment. Disney has really not done us a big favor in this way. There is a marriage myth that there is a perfect person out there for you and it's your job to find them. And when you find them, you will live happily ever after. Happily ever after. I don't know what this says about me. I don't know what this says about me. You can tell me what it says about me maybe later. You don't have to if you don't want to. But Blair's always told people, one of my favorite things that she tells people that are getting married or dating, we've been married nearly 15 years now. And um, she'll tell them when they're dating, this is the best it'll ever be. This is the best it'll ever be. See, I'm like, man, this is the best my life's ever been with her. And she's like with me for 15 years. She's like, it was better before we got married. Why is that? Well, what's, what's really the joke behind that? The joke behind that is when I'm trying to, when I'm trying to win someone, how, how many years, Gary? How many years did you say tomorrow? 47 years tomorrow, Linda has been voluntarily putting up with Gary. But why? Why do that? Well, why, 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 why do that? Why, why do we sometimes look back and go, man, that dating was the best? Because 47 years ago, you're still trying to win Linda, right? 15 years ago, I'm still trying to win Blair. And once we win them, we have to quit trying. Whew, I did. It was hard. It was hard, y'all. It was hard. And, and I've, I've, tr- I've tried to grow a lot. Uh, sometimes I succeed in it. Sometimes I fail. Will Haley told somebody the other day, I'm the most sarcastic person he's ever met in his life. And I thought that I'd gotten better about that. Apparently I haven't. You know, I tried not to be that way with Blair, but it didn't always work. But I tried harder then than maybe I do now because when we're dating, we're we're trying to be this what? This perfect person so they'll want to live with me and I can make them happy and we can live happily ever after. The truth is, is, we are not what? We're not perfect, are we? And happily ever after, happily ever after is not always happy, right? Happily ever after is not always happy. As to where Blair tells people that dating is the best it's ever going to be, my statement is marriage is the hardest thing you'll ever commit to. It is the hardest thing you will ever commit to. It's the greatest blessing in my life. It's the most wonderful commitment I've ever made outside of my commitment to God. But it takes time, it takes work, it takes effort. So as we think about this today, I want you to think about the marriage reality. It's more important to be the right spouse than to find the right spouse. Think about that for a moment. It's more important for you to be the right spouse than it is to find the right spouse. Now hold on to that, and we're going to circle back around to that as we come to the end, and it's going to make a little more sense to you. But we're going to work through our passage here, make some observations, and then we're going to wrap up with, with, with some, some marriage observations, because really that's what this particular section is in here. Um, Nathan, I'm going to read from my Bible, so if you will follow along with us. Meanwhile, okay, so, so remember, Ruth has come, and she's asked Boaz to be their guardian redeemer, right? And he says, hey, there's one other guy that's in line before me. Okay, I got to go talk to him first and see if he wants to do this. So that's where we pick up. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there. As the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. All right, so let's set the stage. Go to the next slide. Where are we? Go to the next slide. So this is this, uh, the, the biblical city of Bethsidia. Um, it's not necessarily the city that we're in, but you get the same concept here. So in all of these cities that they've excavated, there's these gates coming into town. And you can kind of see, if, if, if you look real close to the far end, and then there's another kind of section, and then there's this uh, final section with these two, really what those are, are those are um, idols. You know, in excavating uh, cities in Israel of the Jewish people, we still find the idols that they worship during this the time of the judges and different things that are still present uh, in, in the excavation. But there's three, there's three gates the city. So he's come into the city. Let's go to the next slide. And if you turn the corner, if you turn the corner and you can kind of see over, um, over to the side, to the left, just to the left of this picture, this is the best picture I could find. In most of these cities, there's a little courtyard area. Okay. So you, you've walked in this little courtyard area and there's, a, um, there's like a, a bench of seats. that that continue to wrap around this courtyard. And so he would have come into the gate of this city, into this courtyard. He brings the elders with him because uh, he wants a representation. He wants someone to to, to be able to say, this is what's going on. This is the conversation that has happened. So they're sitting in this area. and This just kind of gives you, maybe visually puts you in to this story just a little bit. Okay, let's keep going. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belongs, that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. I will, if you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not tell me, so I will know for one For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Okay, so we were talking about this last week, just kind of catching you up to where we are, that there is this provision in the law, okay, that that if something happens to your spouse and he dies, the next person, the next in kin, the next in line, um, goes and and takes care of you. But there's also this provision here. Along with that, it says in Leviticus 25:25, if one of your fellow Israelites becomes poor and sells some of their property, their nearest relative is to come and redeem what they have sold. So there's this, there is just this idea within the law that family takes care of family. And we've talked about that several times. But family takes care of family. If I get to a situation to where I can't pay my bills and, and, and I've and, and I lost my job and I'm just not able to do things anymore and I have to start selling off property to, to, to take care of my responsibilities, my nearest relative, my brother, my brother is supposed to come in and purchase those things. And if you keep on reading in chapter 25, the reason family does that is so that I still have the opportunity later on the down line when things are better that I can redeem that or I can buy that back from my brother, and it's just not gone. So, you continue to see this idea here of family just taking care of family. It's a beautiful thing that God has created. Verse 5 Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead woman's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said "Then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. So (laughs) really, if you just kind of of read between the lines a little bit, I think Boaz is playing the situation a little. He's doing what he needs to do, and he goes to the guy and he says, hey, look, you're you're next in line. Like you're, You're first man up. There's all this property here if you want it. And what's he thinking? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm going to gain all this property. It's going to be mine. And then he throws in a curveball there. He goes, hey, but if you get that, you've also got to remember that these ladies come along with it. And what does he say? Well, I might mess something up. You know, and he doesn't really say what could mess it up. Um, but but maybe the idea went through his mind of what if there's a son that I don't know about that comes back one day and wants to take it back or or someone else claims it? he's like, I, maybe maybe he's got, you know, his wife at home. He's like, I don't want you to bring I don't 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 think about bringing other people into the house. You know, like, I don't know what's going on, but something's happened when he mentions the women that come along with it. And you're like, oh, no, I just can't do that. So he says, you go ahead and do it. Now, I also want to make this point about this particular section. I don't want you to get lost, I don't want you to get lost, because in Haleville, Alabama, in September of 2023, we cannot imagine selling women with property, can we? That's just a very foreign concept, right? It's a foreign concept, but in our story, this should be celebrated. This should be celebrated in our story. We, we can't always look at these stories through the glasses of our culture because what's going on here is beautiful, even though to some people it's like, why in the world are they selling women? Like, right, well, why are, But it's beautiful. And here's why it's beautiful. Number one, it's God's law. And through His law, He is allowing provision for these widows to be taken care of. And that's beautiful that God says, you are my people. And in a day and age where women have no rights, where women can own property, but they really don't own the property, right? Where where women can just be taken advantage of through God's law. He says, I'm going to make sure everybody is taken care of. And that's beautiful that God says, I love you. And I'm going to make sure that in any situation you find yourself in, You can come to me and I'm going to take care of you. That should be celebrated in this passage. And then the next thing I think should be celebrated in this passage is Boaz. Because Boaz shows up and he says, I'm going to step up and redeem these women. I'm going to step up and make sure they're taken care of. Because the next in line doesn't. He's all about the property, but he's not about the responsibility. And he says, no man, I'm not jumping into that. You... You go do your thing. Go ahead and do your thing, and do what you feel you need to do. And we should celebrate that Boaz redeems these women in their situation throughout the story. Let's keep going. Verses seven and eight. Um, now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Again, it's a foreign concept to us, but in this day and time, the way that you showed ownership was by physically walking onto a piece of property, taking your sandals off, and stepping on the property. And a lot of scholars say that this passing of a sandal had become a, represent, a representation of that transaction. I'm taking my sandal off and transferring it to you. But there's, there's even more to that within, uh, within the law. It goes a little bit deeper in Deuteronomy 25, uh, where we're still in this idea of taking care of each other. If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. The first son shall bear... Uh, The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother so that this name will not be blotted out from Israel. We're seeing this take place in this story. But then we get to this situation. However, if a man does not want to marry his brother's wife, she shall go to the elders at the town gate and say, My husband's brother refuses to carry on his brother's name in Israel. He will not fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to me. Then the elders of the town shall summon him and talk to him. If he persists in saying, I do not want to marry her, his brother's widow shall go up to him in the presence of the elder, take off one of his sandals, spit in his face, and say this is what is done to the man who will not build uh, up his brother's family line. The man's line shall be known in Israel as the family of the unsandaled. I do you've ever read that before. That's, a, that's an interesting little passage right there, isn't it? So what this guy's doing, Hey bud, you want to come help? Nope, okay. What this guy's doing is he doesn't want to be known as the family of the unsandaled, right? So he's trying to protect himself. And Boaz is trying to protect these women, these ladies. And they're all trying to fulfill the law of God. So we've got a lot of this culture going on here. And and I just wanted to share a little bit of it with you so you can kind of wrap your mind a little bit deeper into what we're doing. Let's keep going. We start in verse 9. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today... You are witnesses that I have brought, I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kelon, and Mahalan. I've also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Mahalan's widow, as, his, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that the name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today, you are witnesses. And then, almost as in like a chorus, right? Almost as in like a chorus. The elders are going to, to wrap this up. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrath and be famous in Bethlehem uh, through the offering the Lord gives you by, his, by this young woman. May your family be like that of Perez who Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. What a beautiful story. What a beautiful story. One of the things that I love about this story is that the story is redeemed through the beautiful act of marriage. The story is redeemed through the beautiful act of marriage. And and, and we have done a, uh, a fair job through the years of of, of talking about marriage in, in different ways and for different reasons. Um, but sometimes I think we, if we're not careful, we get bogged down in, in other things and we forget the importance of marriage in our world. And, and I know that marriage can be an interesting uh, subject for some people. It, it can be a hurtful subject for some people for, for whatever reason you might or might not be married today or situations that you may have lived in your life. But the, the truth is, is that Godly marriage is beautiful. Matter of fact, as they're trying to discuss the issue of divorce with God, with Jesus, Jesus makes this statement, and, and I love the beginning of this statement. What God has brought together, right? Our marriages are brought together by who? What God brings together, do not tear apart. And I love that idea that marriage is a a beautiful symbol that is given to us by and through God. And if it is by God and it is through God, then it should be a beautiful thing. Now, we do have a tendency of messing that up. We we mess up a lot of things. Marriage is no different. We have a tendency to mess those things up. But that brings me back to this idea. It is more important to be the right spouse than to find the right spouse. Because if you lived your life and and, and are trying to enter into a marriage where, hey, I'm going to marry someone that their sole responsibility in life from now on is to just make me happy, it's never going to work. It's never going to work. Because they're never going to be perfect enough to completely make you happy. So what we have to do is come into a marriage. We have to come into a marriage with this idea. And I love these words that Paul uses. I get to go one more. Go to the next slide. I don't know why I'm not working. There's a passage from the book of Galatians where, where Paul says, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. And I want you to focus on that last phrase, until Christ is formed in you, that we are living our life and going through the process of doing our dead level best to become more and more like Jesus every day, for Christ to be formed in us. And when we have that mindset and that attitude and we bring that into our marriages, then they are built on a foundation that can And will succeed. So the question becomes how to be Christ to your spouse. Let me give you some quick things. And then we'll wrap up. Learn to kill selfishness. Learn to kill selfishness. There is a saying that I just said one time. I don't know if I came up with it or I heard from someone else, but I've used it forever. And that is the phrase, you do what you want to do. You do what you want to do. And we were talking about church attendance and different things. We were trying to figure out well, why are people not coming back and doing this? When we were at Kingston, we were talking about things. And I just sit in the meeting and I said, I don't tell you why people don't come back because they don't want to. You do what you want to do. I can't make you do something you don't want. Jud, I can't make you come to church every time the doors are open. Can I? Can I make you do that? Who can make you do that? You. You do what you want to do. I can't make you go here. I can't make you do that. Okay, you do what you want to do. And most of the time, when we're not doing what God wants us to do, we're doing what we want to do out of what? Out of selfishness. It's about me. In any relationship, marriage or friendships or raising your children, whatever it is, can't be selfish. We talked about this passage last week from the book of Philippians, and we talked about it in the context of the church. But I want to challenge you with the idea that all of these passages that we talk about, that we put in all the other contexts, should first and foremost be in the context of our marriages, in the context of our homes. Because as our homes go, so does our society, and so does our churches. Our country is struggling today not because of politicians, not because of leadership in in government, our, our, our world, our society, our country is struggling today because of the breakdown of homes. When we let our homes break down, When we let our marriages break down, it's going to affect everything around us. Our church is only as strong as the marriages and the homes within our church. So as you deal with each other, do nothing out of selfish ambition and vain conceit, but in humility value others. You could even, for the sake of this conversation, put in humility value your spouse above yourself. Live in that way. The second thing here is learn to show grace. Learn to show grace. This is a hard one because there's two ideas here in the the idea of grace. Philippians, let me get to my, my spot here. Colossians chapter three and verse 13. Bear with one another and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So there's two ideas of grace here. Forbearance or bearing with, and forgiving. The idea of forgiveness is this idea that if you do something wrong to me, I am going to free you of that and I'm not going to hold that against you anymore. We're not going to get into a fight in three weeks and I'm going to bring this thing up that I said I forgave you for, okay? That's forgiveness. Forbearance or, or bear with each other is this idea of that's just who you are and I'm going to be patient with you, right? That's who you are and I'm going to be patient with you. I'm the most sarcastic person Will Haley has ever met. Which also means, what do I bring into my marriage? A personality of what? Sarcasm. Personality of sarcasm. And there are times that Blair will look at me and go, you're not meaning to, but you're being a jerk because you're being so sarcastic. But there's also a part of her in our marriage that she says, that's who my husband is and I will bear with him in that. That's not going to change. I can work on it. I can try to be better, but if you meet, my, if you meet the rest of my family, it's, it's, just, it's just in us, and sometimes we can't help it, but there are things about you that you, sometimes you just can't help, and our, our, our spouse, our love for each other says, I love you anyway. I'm not going to hold it against you. I'm going to bear with you through this. There's going to be times I'm going to say, check it, and, 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 and let's not be this way in this moment but we have to show grace to each other in so many different ways in those relationships. The third thing here, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, become a world-class listener. Become a world-class listener. James says this, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. Be quick to listen. Say it again. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. Slow to become angry. If we are quick to listen, what does this tell us? If we're quick to listen, more than likely we're going to become slow in what? Anger. We're going to become slow in anger. There are a lot of filters that our conversation goes through. And for those that have done the premarital counseling with me, we talk about this. We talk about this idea that communication starts where? Communication starts in my heart, right? Right? Communication starts in my heart. So say Blair and I are having a conversation. I have something I want to share with her. My thoughts start in my heart. Then they come out in words from my mouth. They come into her ears. She hears them. And then they go into her heart for translation. Now, there are one, two, three, four different steps in that particular situation right there. Right? Four different steps. Which means there are four moments for that communication to completely go sideways. Because sometimes I can feel it and I can't express it correctly. You ever get into that situation? I feel it, but I just don't know how to put it into words. Or I have felt it, I've put it into words, and when I say it, it's heard not really like I thought I said it. And then it's translated different. And then it makes her feel a certain way. She feels, she speaks, I hear, I translate into my heart. And if you're not careful, if you just get into the situation where you just speak, 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 what happens? Nobody hears and the filters break down and there's nothing but anger. So we have to make sure in our life that we work at being world class listeners. When you have something that you really need to discuss and talk about as a couple or with anybody, get rid of the distractions. There are certain things in our life and in our marriage that we can't talk about when the kids are around because we've got a lot of them and there's always a distraction And if we ever want to sit down on the couch and just talk, our kids cannot have spoken to us for the last three hours. But if we sit down and try to have a conversation, what does every kid in the house do? Right there on top of you. Right there on top of you. But get rid of the distractions. If You've got to talk about something. You've got to have a real deep, meaningful conversation. Get rid of the distractions. Put the phone down. Don't have that in your hand. Stop talking and listen and ask questions. Hey, I hear you saying this, I'm not sure if this is what you mean, instead of just reacting and responding. But ask questions and communicate with each other in such a personal way. All right, here's two more and then we're going to wrap up. Have mentors in your life. We call it discipleship, right? So discipleship prior to salvation is called evangelism. And if you want to, discipleship after salvation is mentoring. Okay. And, and the Bible is very clear about this, that this is the way that it's supposed to work. He says in the book of Titus, Paul writes these words. He says, likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live. Do not be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then look at verse 4. Then they can urge the younger women to what? Love their, love their husbands and Children, in other words, he's saying older women, teach the younger women how to be married. How their marriage is supposed to work. And guys, men, I think we can say the same thing about us. I don't think this should just be a a, a woman's issue, woman's thing. I think, men, we should do this with each other as well. But man, generations are, are, generation conversations are sometimes hard to have in churches. Because, well, you're so much older than me, you don't get it or they're younger than me, and they really don't want to hear what I have to say. But the truth is, is you've been there, and you've experienced it, and you have something to share. And the truth is, as young married couples, there's a lot for you to learn, and we have a great wealth of resources. And if someone comes and sits down and says, hey, I just want to share this with you, it's not meant to be judgmental. It's, it's just love. We need to practice this in our life. Everybody. Excuse me, everybody should have mentors that they are sharing their life with and getting help with, and then turn around and share with other people and bring them along. God wants us to do that. And then here's the last thing is celebrate together. Celebrate together. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again. Rejoice. I say it again. Rejoice. What do you celebrate in your life? That, that, to, me, to me, this is a marriage passage. Rejoice in your marriage. Celebrate your marriage. Here's the trap that so many married couples get in. Here's the trap that so many married couples get in. They have kids. That's the beginning of the trap. And then the next 20 years of their marriage is revolved around being what? Parents. We have, we've, we've hit it 100 miles. I thought we were busy until this fall. I thought we were busy until this fall, and we have been so busy this week that we completely forgot that Britain had something this week, and I was in one place, and Blair was in another, and we just, I mean, we just, just, it didn't make the calendar in the right spot. It really was my fault, because I put the wrong thing on the calendar. I'll take that one. We're so busy. It's all about raising our kids right now, and so you spend 20 years just trying to raise your kids, trying to get that by day by day, trying to just make it work, trying to make the schedule fit, trying to fit as much as you can. And then your last kid graduates and you come home after you take that kid to college and you walk in that house and guess who's gone? What's, what's that comedian, Le- uh, Leanne, what's her name? She goes, my kids grew up and they left me with their daddy. And you're like, who are you? Because without that buffer, Of our kids. I don't know who my spouse is. That happens so many times. You know how you keep from that happening? You continue to celebrate your marriage. You rejoice in your marriage. You celebrate moments in your marriage. You find joy in those things. You let rejoicing be your story, not trials and challenges. You don't sit there and go, man, well, it used to be good, but now, no, no, no. You, when it's good, you celebrate it. You make memories of those good things. You make time to make memories of those good things. We were getting together with a few friends last night to watch the ball game and, and our kids were like, well, why can't we go? And it's like, because we don't need you right now. This isn't about you. This is about us. Make time for us. One preacher I heard one time, and and several have said it through the years, never stop dating your spouse. Never stop dating your spouse. Rejoice in your marriage. And it is marriage that God uses to redeem the story and the life of Ruth. It's through marriage, and it's a beautiful thing. What God has created, let us rejoice in and celebrate do our best to bring God honor through that let's close with a word of prayer God we thank you for we thank you for this time God we thank you for this story we thank you for Boaz and his willingness to to step into this story in such a spirit filled way and, and show us the importance of redemption from you of how you step in and redeem us in our life we thank you for this picture of marriage that, that is beginning to be painted, beginning to be shown through this story as, as the redemption the redemption avenue for these characters in this story. We're so grateful for that, God. We thank you for the fact that, that it is through the redemption act of this marriage that Jesus is brought to us to be our redeemer. Help us to not forget how powerful that is. God, I pray for the marriage's in this room. I know some of them are wonderful. Some of them bring glory to you every day. I know some of them are struggles. And they feel like they're just not necessarily meant to be. There are, there are those that will walk out of this room today discouraged because maybe their marriage didn't work. and They still wonder why. God, help us to realize that the most important relationship above all is that relationship with you. and That no matter what's going on in our life, in that relationship with you, you will bring healing to us and you will bring us into the most wonderful relationship of father and child that we can have and help us grow out of that relationship to where we need to be, God. But Just just bless every situation that is in this room this morning in the way that it needs to be, God. We just thank you for the chance to be together. Help us to let our light shine as we leave. In your son's name we pray.
0: Thou art giving and forgiving, ever-blessing, ever-blessed. Thank you again for joining us, and please consider subscribing to our YouTube channel or our podcast. We can be found on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast provider. Also, leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. You can also follow us on Facebook. Lift us to the joy divine. Instagram. Mortals join the mighty chorus which and Twitter. The morning stars began for the love. Be is sure to join us again. And until then, brother, remember to love, love like man Jesus. To man ever sing.